Hello, hello, and welcome. We are live and alive. Fantastic to have you on board. Um, it's going to be a phenomenal broadcast as we all settle in, relax, and, and enjoy what's going to be quite an extraordinary and informative show. Um, this is all going to be about anxiety and the best ways to cope with anxiety, which is always such a fascinating topic. The bottom line is, of course, that we're all impacted by anxiety. There are things that happen in our world and the world around us that without a doubt have an impact on how we view the world, how we manage to cope with the world, um, how we manage to interact with our friends, our family, work, professionalism, whatever, whatever we do in our own world and the world outside, anxiety does play a part in how we manage to really be our best selves. So I want to welcome you all wherever you might be round around, right around the globe. It is good morning, good afternoon and good evening, good evening, wherever you might be. We have a magical show. I'm Henry Weinreich, your host. Now, this is our weekly podcast lifestyle program, and I'm very proud to say as people are coming on board, we have our live experience, which um, a lot of our audience has grown. If you are the first time viewer or listener to Henry and Friends Live, welcome. And if you are returning, we love um, our audience that we've built and our network that we're growing. The wonderful news with Henry and Friends Live is you can now find us on Audible podcasts, including Amazon, Audible, um, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn. So if you're not managing to catch the show live, then let me tell you something. There's about 20 ways now that you can interact with Henry and Friends Live. Um, today, we are talking about how to beat um, anxiety. How do we cope with the world of anxiety? And let me tell you something. We really do have quite an extraordinary guest, the return of Dr. David Salvage, MD. And when I read you in a moment, and I welcome you to, uh, to our front room, Dr. David Salvage is one of the leading psychiatrists in the world. He is animated, he is insightful, he is calm, and we are honored that Dr. David is back to take the seat. So pull up a sofa, grab a coffee, a tea, or if it's the appropriate time and age group, your cocktail of the moment, because we are going to count down Henry and Friends Live. We're excited. We are up with it, and we're going to count this down as we welcome you. Here we go. Indeed. Hello. We are back. So let me tell you, we have um, uh, who our guest is, and he's a return, our Dr. David segment, which is really by popular demand. I've had people DMing me and messaging me on our WhatsApp. If you've got any ideas for a future show or you've got any comments on how we can make you, our audience, um, experience this uh, podcast uh, in, in a different way or in another way. But I'm going to just read this out to you. Um, of course, any information on Dr. David Salvage, MD, can be found on Dr. Salvage. Uh, drdavidsalvage.com. But let me uh, let me uh, involve you as we pull up our sofa of exactly who Dr. David, our special guest is. Forensic expert David Salvage, MD, FAPM, is a medically trained, board-certified New York psychiatrist. 
in New York, an esteemed graduate of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, can't get more famous than that, with distinguished honors in psychiatry, internal medicine, and the history of psychiatry, Dr. Salvage completed his residency at New York University Bellevue Hospital in New York City. Now, Dr. Salvage has held positions at the New York University School of Medicine, the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and New York Medical College. Now, this is the fact coming up that just blew me out of my seat. Dr. Salvage was named Teacher of the Year and elected to the Faculty Senate. He's also a little bit of a, psychi uh, a psychology uh, psychiatrist um, that's a, an entertainer as far as he has extraordinary international recognition. By that, I mean he's a broadcasting icon and he has been um, focused and featured on conferences including Goldman Sachs, Showtime Cable Network, the New York University Counseling Center, the Academy of Psychosomatic Medicine. Now, who better to actually talk to us and introduce us to the topic of how to cope with anxiety? And in about 23 seconds, Dr. David Salvage is going to come at front and we're going to start this interview. Not before we do a little bit of an intro. Here we I was trying my voiceovers. Uh, we have a new thing because we have an audible um, uh, audience as well. And really and truly, without any further ado, standing ovation. I can see you standing around the globe, Dr. David himself. Good morning. Good evening. Hey, good morning, Henry. It's great to see you. How are you? It's an absolute pleasure. You know, I've had some extraordinary feedback about you, Dr. David, and that is that um, you are calming. You are actually calming. Mm -hmm. uh, do you recognize that? Yes, you know, I have been told that by people, actually, that my voice can really be a little bit of a good kind of tranquilizer, a good sort of morning sun salutation meditation. And I'm very grateful that I've been blessed with that kind of a voice. Can I ask you this? Um, do you think with, you know, your your resume, which for people who have just popped on, uh, drdavidsalvage.com, we can learn so much more about you. Do you think it's like what you learned for yourself also was absorbed in your manner? Do you remember being a younger man and now as you are still a young man, but do you think that had an impact on you and how you present yourself? Very much. And, you know, I can remember as a very young boy when I was six or seven, having a variety of different experiences, one being introduced to yoga, the other with music, taking music lessons, loving pop music as well as classical music. I was really struck as a child, although I didn't have the language for it, with the idea how our state can change. You know, in listening to a beautiful toccata in D minor, suddenly you could feel you were more excited or you were calmer, or in some cases you did things and you were more anxious. And I became really very interested in how things like that worked and why they did. And so, you know, as a that's a natural. And I think for everyone, whatever kind of healer they are, be they in psychology, which is yes. not medical, psychiatry, it's a little more medical, social work, a yoga teacher, someone who does coaching, the more you really can understand something from the inside out, 
So talking about that, talking talking about your skills and your skill set, and it really has been so educational for all of those popping up. We are actually talking about uh, how to cope, the best ways to beat anxiety. So my question to you is, I think that I was actually anxious, and I think a lot of my audience would be as well, on the topic of anxiety. So right. could you actually take the mysticism away for us and then literally just talk to us about what is anxiety, how does it manifest, what are the outcomes, so we can just, before we know how to cope with it, we need to know what it is. Over to you, Dr. Sure. You know, anxiety begins essentially in the brain with brain chemistry. So our brains work by having tremendous amounts of what we would call electrolytes. So we go back to the periodic table from high school, if we can remember that, where they have sodium on one side and chloride on the other. That's essentially what's going on in the brain is that we are transmitting high degrees of ionic exchanges of sodium, chloride, calcium, a few others are in there that transmit impulses. So I'm moving my hands right now, and that's why I'm able to do it. But also more profoundly for org purposes, this flow in the brain, when it's excited and it's high, can make us too anxious. And when it's too low, we can get depressed. But the tricky part of it, and I think that's something we can really get into today, and it's important, is that not all anxiety is bad. And also, so we'll get to we'll get to that point right. because this point, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, I dreamed about your analogy when there's good anxiety and not so good anxiety. But as we're moving through the topic, I just wanted to stand now if you can just, you know, because everybody says, well, what kind of anxiety, you know, and, and you went through such a list, I, I, I my head spun off, but uh -huh. just the basic homegrown types of anxiety. I, I think one of the things was you talked about generalized anxiety. What is that, doctor? Generalized anxiety is a kind of more of one of the bad anxieties. And in it, the patient suffering from it tends to be really worried about everything. You know, it's a feeling of waking up kind of in a keyed up state saying, damn, you know, the alarm went off and I worry that I'm going to be late and I have to pick up the dry cleaning and I'm afraid that they're not going to have it. And then I have to do this other errand and I'm afraid somehow I'm going to botch that. And then I'm going to have this meeting with my boss and I'm afraid that's not going to go well. Generalized anxiety, as the name would imply, is sort of diffuse. It's general. It's really all over the place. And it's kind of on a spectrum because for people who are in the modern world under complex conditions, who may have a really alpha personality and a competitive career and whatever their, their field is, law, advertising, media, medicine, you know, that there's a part of the, you know, being excited and driven, which is good, but for many people, it begins to take over and becomes too much of this worried tape loop that's going through their mind just saying, I just don't see the things working out. So I'm always behind the eight ball and they're doing it too much. They're so can I ask you, because I, I think that we, um, uh, this is so enlightening. I feel less anxious about the anxiety, may I say, yeah. okay. with our okay. audience who are, who, are, um, who are texting us from all over the world. Um, but what I want to ask you is, um, I know myself. And I think I've got friends. So we all know people. Shall we just say that? Let's be let's be generalized. People. We all know we people. Know, let's say we know people, Doctor. <laughs> uh, some of those people that are very close to us. And there can be like this perpetuating cycle, right? So it's like, well, um, as you just said, this is bad and that is bad, and trigger, yeah. trigger, trigger, yeah. and it, the electrolytes go off. Mm -hmm. And then, however, there is a problem in trying to substitute that away from that cycle. Right. So what's your experience with that? You know, I would say it goes in two ways, which is one is, is there a manner one may look at the anxiety saying, you know, do I have some kind of information coming in here? 
meaning why might I be this worried? Is there something really deeper that's actually frightening me and something that's perhaps in my environment that I might really want to get rid of? or change. Is this relationship making me anxious? And actually that's kind of feeding into this. Is my work making me anxious? And maybe I want to kind of dial it down and change careers. It's yeah. a way can you use it as information? And might there be like, I can think of a friend, someone not in the practice, uh, who you know recently was describing having generalized anxiety. And one of the reasons for it is they were aware of saying that through COVID, they are just much more afraid of their mortality. It's a cycle. Sixty, and they're really feeling it. You know, they have survived. They've gotten vaccinated. They're happy yes. about that. But yes. they have had a few friends who have died, and they are just thinking about mortality and different the mortality. Things. And so, getting deeper into that issue is getting them out of the head of all of this anxiety about other things because they've identified more of a source. And they so can I can I ask you this question? Sure. Can I, and so to interrupt you, but there's so much to get through. And my um, there's a good there's a good anxiety and there's a good adrenaline. And my uh, I think all of us are good adrenaline sky. Wow, we want to hear it all. Um, so so my question to you is, is there a correlation? Um, and this is the last bit we're going to talk about with regard to what anxiety is at two minutes before the hour, a quarter to the hour. Um, can I ask you, um, is there a direct correlation between generalized? you know, perpetuating sort of like anxiety to what was called panic attacks. Um, is there a correlation? Do you, does it build up? Is that actually what happens? Well, it definitely can. And the way of seeing it is that these are two different diagnostic entities, generalized anxiety disorder here, panic disorder here. But if people have enough generalized anxiety and it's getting bigger and it's repetitive over time, it can definitely overlap with panic disorder. And one of these things we see in genetic programs of patients suffering from bad kinds of anxiety, so they really have, you know, a more difficult kind of level of generalized anxiety, or they have panic disorder, or they have OCD, or they have social anxiety disorder, four of the most common anxiety disorders. If they have those, one of them, they're more likely to have actually a few others pop up at some point throughout their life, and that sometimes it may morph a little bit over the life cycle. So someone might say, I had generalized anxiety when I was younger, and then later in life that converted more into panic disorder. And we do see a kind of a spectrum, and we also see an evolution where anxiety, sadly, can get worse over time. So, so it's interesting because it's obviously the the the, um, the logic you know says that if you overstimulate those electrolytes, mm -hmm. uh, electrolyte, then there's a constant like charging up. So recognizing what it is has made all of us feel a little bit less anxious. <laughs> and I'm going to put you back into the green room because I'm going to be talking about next weekend, which is our very first Dr. David Seal, 18 and over section so we're going to be back um oh. keeping, keeping within our doctor's office uh -huh. so i just want to introduce everybody to that so um as you can see it's just an extraordinary um you know uh podcast today and again just a reminder you're on henry and friends live uh, this is your lifestyle podcast show we are now on um, all audible devices such as amazon podcast itunes apple so if you haven't catched the show live which is also its own experience you can also catch us um, as a download on youtube or any of the other audible uh, platforms now next weekend is going to be a beauty and we've never really tackled this topic and i just thought we started off with dr david salvage 
um, NDFAPM, and I'm going to ask him what the FAPM actually stands for. But next weekend, we have got, as you say in Australia, a Bobby Dazzler. And the Bobby Dazzler is actually something we've never tackled. Um, it's going to be coming live from uh, uh, Antonio, uh, Texas, San Antonio, Texas. Callie Williamson is going to be joining us with a topic that um, we have yet to tackle, and that is sex therapy. Let's just have a little bit of a taster here. The screens are screening up, the steam is screening up, and of course we have Dr. David Salvage um, right in front of us, direct and live from New York City. Dr. Salvage, a question for you, if you're Dr. David, if you don't mind me being so bold as to ask you. Um, again, your qualifications are extraordinary. Um, what does FAPM actually stand for, as far as the initial uh, It stands for Fellow of the Academy of Psychosomatic Medicine, and right. what that has to do with is mind-body relationships. You know, so part of it is saying, you know, if we can help someone reduce their anxiety and their stress levels, are they going to be less likely to have high blood pressure, less likely to have ulcers, less likely to have cardiac disease? And we know that if they can get anxiety down, they're going to feel better. We also look at some kind of esoteric questions sometimes, like for patients who are very ill with cancer, if they're getting whole beam radiation to treat a tumor versus partial beam, when would they get cerebral edema? How might we use medications to help manage that? So we make people in hospital and sometimes in outpatient medical settings more comfortable by using different kinds of psychiatry. But often the main thing we are addressing, it's very common there, is anxiety because people who are not well feel anxious. They worry about their diagnosis, the treatments they're getting, so many things. I think we're actually all recognizing that we are extraordinarily uh, fortunate and that we are grateful for you coming on as our guest because I think we're all feeling like we're sitting on your sofa <laughs> having a session and we feel better already. I know that we're all going to feel better. Look, obviously you discussed, you know, that um, anxiety when it's not out of control can be fatal, um, you know, with blood pressure and all that sort of stuff, the medical side. But what I wanted to talk about now is what are the best ways to cope with anxiety. And I know one of the first things that you discussed was cognitive. So what do you mean about cognitive and behavioral behavioral therapy when it comes to coping with you know, yeah. anxiety? For garden variety, kind of like anxiety, just diffuse anxiety, we could call it. That's not really, you know, a diagnosis like panic disorder or something like that. What we do is we try to look, if we see my arm as kind of the level of the crust of the earth, so to speak, what are some automatic negative thoughts that might be happening there? I'm not good enough. I'm going to get fired. I don't have enough money. I don't know if this person loves me. I don't know if I'm producing enough. There's many different kinds of things people uh, worry about. If we move that down, kind of like moving to the lower level of the earth where there's more depth, we would probably look at a propositional kind of thought there. Like if I were more slender or lost weight or had a better voice or something like that, then I would be, and then the person can really explore that, explore their thinking to fill in the blanks. If you really got to solve the thing you're anxious about, 
what would then happen? I'm anxious about passing this test. If I pass it, what do I expect? It lets you get a little bit more realistic about it. So let's say someone says, you know, I might fail the test. And but you could take it again. You could you could begin kind of seeing more of the rational way. It's not a cataclysmic disaster. It's not catastrophize that. It's not a catastrophe. Life does go on. Right. Like that's right. It. So, Mike, um, uh, by the way, we've had a really interesting question from Melita uh, Simmons in Canberra, our capital state city uh, uh, in Australia. Um, just um, right at the end, I want to talk about a really good point, and that is how do you actually recognise uh, three top symptoms of anxiety and when you actually need to seek uh, some assistance? And actually just talking about assistance here for a moment, obviously this is not a doctor-patient relationship that we're establishing here on our uh, podcast. If any of this conversation is triggering to you at all, um, we obviously uh, recommend and, and and support and urge you to seek medical advice. But but what uh, Melita was talking is how do you recognise the top three um, symptoms before you need to get advice? But now going back to um, your ways of how to cope, you talked about um, there's got to be a creative way. Um, and that is breathing. So, so what do you mean? I mean, we've heard about breathing. Everybody talks about breathing. What do you, Dr. Salvage, Dr. David, what do you think about breathing? What's your interpretation? I am all for it. I think breathing is a very big part of helping to be less anxious for a few different reasons. But when we breathe, and most of us are a bit more shallow breathers for complex reasons. By that, I mean, we tend to breathe, if we just look at our chest, a little bit from the nipple and upwards, which is kind of the upper pectoral. But the better kind of breath that is really designed to help you with anxiety is a more diaphragmatic breath, which is coming from a smooth muscle, the diaphragm, just a few centimeters below the belly button down below the navel. If we can get in a really big belly breath, a really big breath, several things are happening, but the primal one is we are calming down the vagus nerve, which is this very complex nerve which snakes down from the brain down to the lower body and it enervates the diaphragm and controls your breath rate. So when we get anxious classically or breathing goes higher, the vagus nerve is overexcited. All of those fluxes we talked about at the start of the talk are going, they're just going too much. So when we give our body this other feedback of saying, we're taking charge, we're slowing down the breathing here. Yeah. Other things begin to slow down. We slow down. So it's a type of breathing. No one's ever explained that to us. Um, we have actually a little comment here from Michelle Roth uh, mm -hmm. in New York City, and she uh, questioned, does actually, does diet assist? So what's the answer as we go eight minutes before the end of this podcast? What's your uh, advice on how to cope with anxiety um, with regard to food, please? Oh, that's a really great question, including food. We will include liquid beverages as well. The most common problematic ones are anything containing caffeine at all. And so if you're someone who's really got like, you know, a huge caffeine habit where you've had three or four cups of coffee a day for a couple of years, you don't want to cut that out totally suddenly because you could go into caffeine withdrawal. But that is actually the most common substance of abuse at this point. Um, although it's really coffee. But can it, I be honest with you? Um, yeah. uh, I have to be honest with you. I think I've kept emphasizing um, that I have decaf oatmeal now. Uh, <laughs> and can I honestly tell you, I can see now, and for all of those people that have joined us from Henry and Friends Live around the globe, we're talking about how to cope with anxiety. My goodness, 
do I recognize, and so many of our friends recognize that coffee can send you mm -hmm. <laughs> through the ceiling. Send you. And the That's interesting thing is, I'm going to be honest with you, I did absolutely use that as a drug when I went to the gym. And so mm -hmm. what was happening was I was revving myself up and then revving myself up again. And I'm telling you, I came out, I was like strung out. And of course, when you go up, you've got to go down. Talking about exercise, exactly. what is your take on exercise? Because I was going, and I saw my friends were running like crazy. Is that what you would recommend? Right. I wouldn't. To complex in a little bit to Michelle Roth's question, I was just going to say, in general, food choices should be really more high protein types of foods, you know, fish, vegetables that are more proteinaceous, and also more complex carbohydrates. So berries, things like that. Anything that is really like a refined sugar is going to really spike anxiety levels quite a lot and also make it harder to do the intermittent fasting because you're going to get a lot of insulin irregularities, which can create sedation, lethargy, but that alternates also with an anxiety because there's almost like a little mini withdrawal that we're seeing. For exercise, yes, I yes. Do not suggest high impact exercise so much. I no, would no. suggest more low impact types of exercises, particularly yoga, great because of the breath component, the slow movement of the body, slowing the vagus nerve down getting the brain to be a much calmer, calmer uh, organ. And that other things that are good are Pilates is a great form of exercise for that. It gives you more breath work. It gives you more control. Also, like yoga, works a lot on diaphragmatic breath. So we're really getting a lot of vagus nerve calming there. And I think swimming, if you are a swimmer and you'd like it and you have access to a pool or you're in a yes. Your beautiful place like the beaches you know if you can get in about just a half an hour of the water you know studies have shown there's something about the buoyancy that is psychologically beneficial in many ways it's an anti embryonic it's embryonic in your in your mother's womb seriously with the true intuitive psychology well, but that, but that's why i know that um uh, that you have actually uh with some of your patients or patients you've known you've recommended youtube music I need to ask you this question as we go into exactly five minutes before it flies when you're on with Dr. David. Let's get real, ladies and gentlemen. This is a world-class sofa session with Dr. David, and it's official. I loved it when you spoke to me earlier about the, you know, how some anxiety is good mm -hmm. and what happens when that is taken away from you. Could you explain us when you recognize, and this might be actually uh, responding to Melita Simmons and um, how you know when anxiety gets past a good point. But before we get to that point, in a couple of minutes, could you explain to us, please, the story of the deer and the lion? Because I think that's- Oh, sure. And this, I think, will relate to the other question you've asked. But in the natural world, we are a very anxious species as primates, and so are deer and antelopes and things such as that. So in the world of nature, if we were to go to the African veldt right now, there are some nervous antelope out there. And if there's a single lioness or a single lion who is kind of a teenager and they can't get into a pride yet and they have to prove that they're bigger and stronger to be able to get there, they're in a tough spot where they're a big top predator. But because the antelope when it has one predator is able to use its anxiety as a signal to say, I, there's a whisper in the grass, there's a bad smell, I'm off like a rabbit, my adrenaline is pumping, I can run 40 miles an hour, I can outrun this huge uh, predator, they yeah, survive. What happens once the lion has graduated, hopefully into a pride, so they're hunting as a group, it's they're very clever. So the males don't really actively hunt then. They roar into the earth. Lazy males. Uh, lazy, lazy males, just like human beings. The men, <laughs> nothing. 
So there, the uh, the roaring to the earth creates this tremendous confusion because the antelope keeps saying, I'm running here, but I'm hearing roaring, but now I'm running there, and I'm hearing running. At that point, anxiety has been disrupted. It's not a signal. It's chaotic. It's out of control. So if you have tried like a variety of things, be it breath work, be it yoga, be it, you know, there are herbal teas, I think we can get into it at a later date that, you know, may always be somewhat helpful. If you really feel like you can't use this as a signal, or a different way of putting it is the great actress Catherine Hepburn was fond of saying, don't lose your stage anxiety, but also don't lose the play. So it, what she meant was you have, can feel anxiety and excitement of being backstage, but once you're on stage, you know, can you do the play? control it. How do you and how do you channel it into what you're supposed to be doing, how you're playing this role? If you, in whatever your thing is as someone who may have anxiety, feel like you're not controlling it to the extent that you can really manage something that's important to you, my advice would be because it's very treatable, you know, seek out a counselor or that's what, that's what I want to ask you. Reach out because there's a lot we have, of we have 60 seconds left mm -hmm. and in six no. I lie, 120 seconds left. Okay. Um, in the last, in 160 seconds, um, could you please tell us uh, the short answer of, and by the way, your answers are amazing. I can imagine um, people sitting on your sofa as we are um, metaphorically doing. is It's just a mind-blowing experience, Dr. David. You are quite extraordinary. But our question is, is there a correlation between high anxiety and depression? That comes from Donna Harris. Um, it is. And I really appreciate the question. That's a great question. There is. Something that's very useful to note if you have oscillating cycles of anxiety and depression, where one yes. follows another, or whether the two of them may come together. And many people who actually are depressed, one of the presenting symptoms can be anxiety. I just feel keyed up and very anxious, but as they go further, often mood symptoms really do unravel or appear, and they're very, very intertwined in complex ways. So right. it's great yes. and it's definitely a consideration. And in the last 60 seconds, we could have 160 minutes or more with you, Dr. David. And it's really gracious that you've uh, graced our podcast yet again. And there's lots of demand for you to return. But for the last 60 seconds, could you please tell us what are the three things that you know uh, from Melita Simmons that you know for a fact the things to look out for with regard to, uh, you know, knowing about anxiety? So it says, Melita said, I think many people I know have um, had uh, anxiety and had a touch of it during the COVID pandemic and really haven't had the tools to cope. Do you have simple tips like a three top um, when somebody first notices they're becoming anxious? So I think that we've talked about, what would you say your top three are? Because right. we, we've had cognitive, we have breathing, mm -hmm. um, one which we didn't get to is stopping and questioning, exercise, low impact, stop the cycle and diet. From all of those, and I hate to ask you this because it's probably no, like years of your stuff. This is an easy top three, really. One is using the breath and the diaphragm to slow the vagus nerve down. Right. Two would be letting yourself do some light exercise so that you're really using heart rate, endorphins, and enkephalins to really change the brain pattern. And yes. then three is take the behavior to a different source. So if you're really anxious about COVID, let yourself say, I am going to just not think about that for a while. I'm going to just take a vacation here as much as one can. Obviously, it's a tough world. There's the reality of this terrible illness. But is to say, I'm going to really read an absorbing book. I'm really going to do some work that means something to me. Try to just get engaged as much as you can in something that you find either if you're receiving it passively, like a film, 
that just blows you away. Absolutely. At the same time, if it's something that you're doing, you know, at this point, you don't have to do your accounting if you hate, you know, right. you don't do things you don't like. Right, exactly. If you love painting, this is a time to paint your bedroom. You know, do something. I, I, I get it. And you don't start. You do that, and then you do the whole house. Exactly. Um, I'm going to ask you this. Um, it is now um, one minute past the hour. You have just been an absolute delight and joy, and um, a positive and invigorating well of information. But I'm going to invite you uh, back into the green room for literally a few seconds because here's a Bobby Dazzler that we ask all our guests, and that is from all your life experience and all the people that you've assisted in your life, psychiatrically and pharmacologically speaking, um, what's the number one advice you can leave us with today on this podcast that we can take with us, have in our soul and, and help assist us in our day-to-day -day living? It can be as generalized as you want. Um, we've got Dr. David there on the hot seat. Uh, may I remind you that next weekend we have our first closed sealed section of Henry and Friends Live, direct from San Antonio, Texas, which we've not been to yet. We have the fantastic Callie uh, Williamson, who's a licensed social worker, and she's going to be talking to us about sex therapy. That's next program. Dr. David, the light, the, the, the light is on you. What's right. the one yeah. thing you can tell us? Please? I would say this. In the immortal words of Shakespeare in Hamlet, above all things, to thine own self be true. So my advice in that is, if you're just dead on honest with yourself, if you don't like who you're with, if you don't like what you're doing, if it's just not you, give yourself the respect of really doing you the right way, the real you. And the rest, in my experience, usually will fall into place. Well, you have done us an extraordinary honor, a, a giant applause from right around the globe for all of those who are joining us after the live um, podcast. We know we've had such an audience with you. Thank you so much. Um, I know you're coming to us live from New York City. It looks like it's the light's gone down as the light is rising in Sydney on the other opposite side of the world, standing ovation. Thank you so much. And we look to have you joining us back again. Be well, Henry. Thank you so much. Thank bye, you so bye. much. Bye. What, an, what an amazing, amazing guest. It's just such a joy and such a pleasure. Um, don't forget that all the descriptions are down below in our comment box. Um, so you can find out more about Dr. David. You can find out a little bit more about what we've talked about. And also don't forget that next uh, podcast we're coming up, we have the delicious, fabulous um, Callie Williamson, talking about sex therapy and my own adage is uh, not only just to be thine self be true which is I really felt that in my soul I'm sure you all did as well but at the same time um, uh, from, I always quote from a famous um, uh, disc jockey in the 1970s uh, Casey Kasem keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars Henry Samuel Weinreich your host saying have a great week ahead bye for now